What happens when you combine the most innovative, eccentric and charismatic leaders, disruptors and founders from tech with the pedigree and history of one of the most established institutions within the City of London? The Searching for Mana podcast will be produced in partnership with the London Stock Exchange. I'm Lloyd Wahead, the host of Searching for Mana. We're going to be interviewing some of the leaders, influencers and disruptors in the tech space, where I'm going to be trying to dig in and find out what's their mana, their superpower, their magic. Welcome to another episode of Searching for Mana. Today, Sachin and I are delighted to be joined by Piotr, founder and CEO of Uncapped. Piotr, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Piotr, Piotr, I'd like to begin by talking through some of your journeys to founding Uncapped. You spent some years as a VC investor yourself, having been at Google for several years before that. How do those experiences shape your vision for Uncapped? I think my days in in a VC fund, we're very eye-opening. You know, as a VC investor, you are able to invest maybe in one out of thousand companies you meet. You have so many of these meetings, and if you're lucky, you do, you know, one, two investments a year. And I'm optimist in nature, and, you know, throughout the year, I would meet loads of companies I liked. And I thought, hey, this is a good business. This is a good company. They need money. But gosh, they will not be the unicorn. But it's a good business and they cannot get a VC funding. And I thought, oh my God, like it's, it's, there should be a better way for them to, to, to finance their growth. And this, you know, made me think, you know, probably that market is much, much bigger than equity market in this space. And no one is servicing these customers. They cannot get a bank loan. They cannot get a VC funding. How are they going to grow? Even if they're like profitable. And, you know, this allowed me to, a few years later to, to start a company, which became Uncapped today. Fantastic. And was there anybody or, or, or prior, or maybe there now is, was there anybody doing something similar to this? Or did you really feel like this, is a, this was a genuine USP? There was a company called Clearco in Canada. They were not offering their services in Europe, you know, but they did launch this business in Canada and, and the US. And they were the original inspiration for the idea. And once I heard about them, I was already thinking about this idea for quite some time and I heard about them and then I realized, oh my God, someone will do that in Europe very, very soon. And it's this one of these like now or never type of moments when I spent, I think, two or three months thinking about this idea every single night. And I was, you know, I had a very good cushy job and my thinking was, gosh, if I don't do that in three years time, I'll, I'll be reading in TechCrunch about someone else doing that and regretting that it's not, it's not me. And that's when I decided to, you know, leave my job and start a company. That's actually what I was going to ask. Was there a, a set moment in time where you're like, right, now I've got to do this, otherwise I'm never going to do it? Or was it just more like a gradual, this needs to happen soon? It was, you know, just combination of a few moments. So the fund I was working with had some internal challenges. The two partners were fighting and I realized this fund will not go anywhere. And I thought, okay, I probably should be looking for a new job. But I didn't really want another VC job. I was like, gosh, I've been in a few funds. This is such a tough business. If you are not Axel or Sequoia, it's very hard to make money because all the best founders, they want money just from them. And, you know, and then I, this idea of ClearCove Europe came around and I just thought, okay, now is your time. And do you, did you find that 
it was you know it, once you once you launched the business and you you've gone live it was it was an immediate there was just momentum building immediately or did it take some time for the for, for things to for, for things to really gather pace it's always it always came in like step changes and like these weird moments so the first thing i did was i built a pitch deck and i came with this you know vc pitching to vcs very awkward very strange and suddenly like i had to pitch to all my friends and i was so scared you know suddenly like you are i know how difficult it is to be on the other to, to be on the other side because i was you know the one grilling the founders usually and i felt you know the fear of embarrassment that i was I, I felt a fear that they will feel like i'm I'm not good anymore and and how do i pitch to my friends and fear of rejection but i went to my closest friend who was a vc and he gave me so much encouragement you know with the first 10 minutes of a meeting he said okay i'm in for 250 and now i'll help you know reach out the pitch deck because i think you can improve a story improve that so i was like you know this was this gave me a huge boost of confidence and then i started to pitch more VCs and I heard no 80 times. So thank God there was this one yes, which, you know, I knew uh, at least some people will believe in me and, and, and this idea. And I think I managed to get a few term sheets uh, eventually and, and we closed the round. And then the hard work started. We very quickly got to the first two clients and very soon after a few more, and when the COVID started and initially, you know, Sequoia, all the VCs wrote these letters, this is the end of the world, you know, fire everyone, preserve your runway. This is the disaster, like 1920, you know, in US. Yeah. And I was like, I can't fire people because there will be nothing else to come back to anyway. Uh, so I decided to try fundraise and, you know, there was one crazy fund, fund crazy enough to believe in us and I, you know, it was very, very difficult. We only had one term sheet. We managed to, to, to negotiate it. We, they invested. And but COVID turned out to be a beautiful moment for us. You know, the e-commerce grew. And I remember we closed the round in August. And end of September, beginning of October, it was a big round, for over 4 million pounds. I came to my investors asking, guys, I need more money. Like, we're growing super fast. I, you know, I grew probably 5x in last two months alone. Like, like, what, like I need more money. They're like, are you serious? Yeah, and like the next round was at this, you know, like we raised around in like two months. And then, you know, there was a lot of story further on, more trouble, etc. But that's, that's another story. I think the story of, you know, several meetings, several, several pitch decks, several, and then, and, and, you know, unfortunately, several projections is one that is probably very well known to many, many founders. But obviously, you did successfully close around in what seems like record record time um when vcs were pushing back what was the main point of contention was it that did they was it a lot of education process from your perspective to say actually this is not replacing vc mod as a model i think a lot of that came even from my own misunderstanding of our target market you know when i was pitching this i was xvc so i focused a lot on vc backed companies and us replacing vcs it turned out we are not about replacing VCs. Like we don't compete with VCs. What really is happening is our clients, our companies who are usually bootstrapped, profitable, are you know these e-commerce businesses around the world, are sellers around the world, and people were like questioning, you know, how many businesses within our target segment are there? The truth is, there are millions of them. 
You know, there are millions of, there are like, you know, three, four millions Amazon sellers alone. There are like two million companies selling on Shopify. There are so many brands, retailers. And you know what? Every single one of them needs working capital. Every single one of them, you know? The concerns everyone had was, you know, how we're going to do the risk. Well, frankly, this is a solvable problem, you know? Like, if if you have enough smart people at some point, you do can figure out how to how to do the risk. It's, it's a tough problem, but it's a solvable problem. Another question everyone had was like, what happens when the companies outgrow you? Well, you know, it happens, but you also grow as a business. My first clients took 15,000 from us. Now people are taking you know, millions as, as, as a single client. So I, th I think more, a lot of the VCs I spoke with, when I look back, they were expecting finished product and they didn't understand, yeah. you know, the journey that the company has to go through to, to get where, where they are. A lot of sense. Companies who go out and actively try to raise money are very often not just looking just for the capital, but they're looking for the advisory side that venture can bring to it, right? The investors can bring to it, whether they take a board seat or not. And so given your personal background, and obviously it is, it is unique, but I'm sure uh, prospective customers all going to go on LinkedIn, look, look at your background and see that you have spent a lot of time in, in venture yourself as an investor, you're an angel investor as well. Do you get a lot of the questions coming in of, you know, people asking you to help formulate additional growth or like, you know, your advice, you know, beyond just the working capital, do you, do you get the, do you get the advisory piece being asked to you as well? You know, the funny thing is with small clients, we just have too many of them. So I don't speak with them. Yeah. And our largest customers are so good, so professional, you know, like our largest customers have, you know, often over hundred million in, in annual revenue. They're so professional. They want advice from people who are even bigger specialists than I am. You know, if they are e-commerce brand, if they're reset, if they're like, you know, retailer, et cetera, they don't want advice from a, someone who is effectively a funder, a bank, alternative investor. They want the advice from other people in their industry. So what we provide them is extremely strong relationship and being a partner. What, where, what they really want from me is a good understanding of their business and knowing that I'll be supporting them when, they, when it's required. So I invest in the personal relationships with them. Um, but it's not about the advice. That makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it's, it's totally dependent on this kind of stage and scale of the business itself. From my understanding, you you moved away from the sort of capital deployment of, you know, I think originally it was 10,000 pounds and now the minimum check size is almost, it's almost 100. Kind of what formulated that that line of thinking? Was it the fact that it's just the, the volume play between 10 and 100? Listen, at the end of the day, if I give a client $1 million loan, I need 100 customers of, you know, who take 10,000 to make it the same amount. And I probably will make more money from this 1 million customer anyway, because it's much cheaper to serve, they are less risky, and I will charge this customer much less. Yeah. But it's much easier to manage one relationship hundred relationships because this, this hundred clients they will default some of them I, I need to you know have all the legal stuff it's a mess it's a nightmare yeah yeah so it just didn't make sense it just was too hard for us to to make them work and that's why we made we made this decision to move really up market and focus on these larger businesses and it worked very very well for us we can 
give them much more attention. We can serve them better. And like, you know, focusing on larger clients was a pivotal moment for our business. And then now, what does the business look like now, Piotr? Like which, which markets are you kind of, have you, have you heavily focused on? Kind of what does that, is there plans into, into going to next year to kind of grow that? Historically, like we are a UK based company and historically UK was always the, the, the strongest market for us. But recently this year has been a year of growth in America. And, yeah. you know, US is by far the fastest growing market for us. We are doing extremely well there. And I still think, you know, we can do way, way, way more when it comes to the growth there. And we are doing well in Germany. We are present in Netherlands. We're present in Spain, present in Poland. But, you know, UK and US is, is, is by far the biggest focus of ours than UK and Germany. Have you found the US customer base? Obviously, there are a few of your competitors who are US based. Like, how do you find how do you find that story when they when they kind of realize you're your UK based versus going to a, a, a US business? Does that does or does it even come up in conversation at all? You know, we have a US based sales team. So, you know, we serve our customers from the United States and we try to make it invisible for our US clients that we are European based company. We're not ashamed of this. We just think that you know you have to be, you have to try to blend in and be as local as possible when in, when, yep. when you are in the US. So for us, what really unlocked our growth was opening our office in Atlanta and having local people there with a lot of experience. And only thanks to them, we managed to 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 grow as well as we did. Fascinating stuff, Pietro. And yeah, the the, the US growth, especially, very very interesting. I'd like to turn back to talking more about Uncapped as a business. So I'm always interested to, to find out from, from founders and from thought leaders in the space when looking at their own business, what specific characteristics they look for in their, when they're hiring for their own team. So, you know, we'll, we'll speak, we'll speak shortly about, about your own mana and about your own, uh, your own characteristics. And what do you look for in your own team above and beyond obviously their technical expertise or their background? Great question. The teams are often a reflection of the founders. That's what I'm realizing. And I realized that what I'm looking for the people is sometimes people who will be, it's probably a mistake by the way I'm making, but having some elements of myself in them. So I'm looking for people who are, first of all, passionate about something. So I don't have to be passionate about, about you know, us, you know, at the end of the day, not everyone at least initially is so passionate about the landing. But hey, I like people who are passionate about something, people who are smart and curious and are good problem solvers. You know, I think at the end of the day, start building a startup is solving different problem every day. Yeah. And when I'm interviewing people, you know, I'm looking for a hints that they are, that they are good at that. And not to, not to obviously give away elements of your interview process in case there's people listening who might be future applicants, but are there specific things that you you do test for or questions that you ask that maybe maybe suggest some of those characteristics? I can give you some I can give you some questions because I don't think they're secret, but you know you never know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there are some basic questions which reveal so much about the people. Like, you know, you ask people about what are they most proud of? It's a very simple question. But you know, people will have so many different answers, you know, and, and what they're proud of is, you know, like sometimes people answer, you know, I'm proud of my family. I have two kids and so I'm proud of, I already know, okay, 
it reveals so much about them. I know, you know, how that family is super important for them, work probably is secondary, you know, etc. Someone else will say, hey, I delivered this and this project, and you can dig deeper why, etc. And you understand, like, you know, because you know you understand the level of our accomplishments you know this tells you know what they managed to do to do it work you know like because this is literally the ceiling the ceiling of what they what they did in their life so i love this question you know like i love to ask about their biggest failure the answer for example i hate the most is like oh i never made a mistake or like i don't think i made a huge mistake and because then i'm thinking are they self-aware enough you know everyone makes mistakes and what I really am looking for uh, in people is, first of all, this awareness, and second of all, being confident enough to talk about them. Like if, if people ask me about my mistakes, I made so many of them. You know, I lost tens of millions of pounds. I made bad tires. I was, I probably still am, average manager at many moments. You know, people mistakes, hiring mistakes, business mistakes, so many of them, and. Uh, being able to talk to them about them is so important and, and is so revealing. Uh, so I have a few more, which I love to ask. Love those. I think you're completely right. I think it, it, it can show a couple of things if they, if they answer in the way that you said, either like you say, a lack of awareness, or it can show that they haven't taken really real risks and haven't really been, if they, if they haven't made a big mistake and they, and you know, they're, they're, they're at the stage of their career they're at. And like you say, it's more likely a lack of, a lack of awareness. Um, the curiosity point, is uh, with our previous guest uh, last week that was a major thing that that he raised as a real strong characteristic that he likes in his team and the people he works with is that just pure purely and simply being curious just just generally in in life and not just your career so interesting that there's, there's some commonalities there we'd like to finish Petra, with going through what we call our mana round and this is a quick fire five or six questions which we ask everybody to try and see if there are some certain trends uh, in what they're saying. You can be as brief or you can elaborate as much as you like. And ultimately then we're looking to try and find what your what your mana is, your your magic, your your superpower. So I'm gonna, yeah. dive, I'm gonna dive straight in. So if you were to appear on the front cover of one of your preferred publications, whether it's The Economist, it might be the FT, it could be something else, what would be the message? What would be the 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 the, the headline on that? on that publication? I don't think I would appear on one. And I'll tell you why. I did that once. I, I, it was a smaller publication, but it was like, you know, equivalent of like Forbes in Poland, my, my home country. And gosh, you know, it was so nice for a few, for a month or two to be on the front cover because like wonder, per, wonder boy, you know, of, of, of a startup ecosystem. And then my company had some real problem. You know, we almost went bankrupt. I had to make a difficult decisions. I fired a lot of people. I felt like a failure. And having this cover put so much pressure on me. I felt like, oh my God, now people will be like, like you know, the nature of the people is like, once you are on the top, people like to, you know. You're there to be shot at. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there's a Max Verstappen who I love and like people like love to take a stab at him. And I was like, gosh, people would love to talk about me behind my back. And oh my God, he was so cocky, he was on the cover. I don't think I ever want to do that. I, I really like, I'd like to be in uh, more in the 
quiet if possible like we do a lot of pr and you know i'm active on social media like linkedin etc and i think i want to do more but this is to attract the customers and spread the know-how spread the about the business but i don't care about the awards i don't care about the covers in in this angle at all do you think do you think there might be a point further down the line when everything's maybe a few years down the road more maybe more established and you're in a position where maybe you you take that leadership that front of house type of type of position again without the fear of it kind of all going wrong or do you think actually you you had your fingers burnt somewhat previously so now you're kind of you're, you're sworn off i never i never say never but i hope in my life i'll be able to give back much more to the community i i don't think i want to run this company for many more, more years to come but i really hope that at some point i can maybe help founders or people in general in much more ways maybe go to politics maybe start some foundation i i i think at that time it will not be about the company or companies it will be about doing something good or maybe like trying to to support some 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 worthy ideas what what keeps you up at night you know building a business nowadays is very very difficult you have so our company is doing very well we've probably will be profitable for a full year which is amazing we grew a lot but you know building a startup nowadays is this huge fight between the growth and the profitability and you think okay shall i raise money maybe grow faster or maybe should i do it more organically and uh, to be honest this is my my biggest question is like what the next year will bring like and and how much shall i push like sell the business versus how much i should be more conservative and and try to you know protect it and i think i don't have a good visibility visibility on this so if i would say one thing is you know this trade-off between the growth and the and the economics which is my biggest concern in my mind and then even if i want to grow how do i do that and second thing is am i a good leader for the company at scale mm -hmm. like you know like i'm a first-time founder we are almost 100 people today and this is manageable, but if we're growing further, if I'm gonna, you know, I grew 4X this year, if I, go, if I keep growing and growing, can I run the company of two, 300 people? I don't know. Do I think about that maybe someone else to replace me? Maybe, you know, be on top of me, next to me? I don't know. What habit or mantra or behavior sets you up for your day? I love to start my day with a workout. So I have a personal trainer and I usually love to start my day with a workout at 7.30 a.m. So I'm also a huge coffee snob. So usually it's like a coffee around 6.45 with a light breakfast and then workout at 7.30. I'm in the office by 8.45 and, you know, I feel refreshed, done and, you know, full of energy to start the day. I think I think once once you get into that habit of of training early and getting the endorphins going, you really then start as you say when you're sitting at the desk, you just feel so pumped, don't you? It's it, yeah. it's just it's just about getting in there and doing it. Yeah. So yeah, incredible. It's also great to do it in the morning because no one disrupts you. Like you know, when I try to work out later in the evening, like like we all have all these messages on Slack, emails, and in the morning, like. I still have my phone in case, but like I can work out without any interruptions, which is beautiful. Is there yeah. is there a passage in a book or again a, another match that generally keeps you motivated, or one that's maybe specifically resonated in your career today? Have you 
seen this quote called Man in the Arena? I haven't. I don't want to misquote it, but basically it's the quote is about, you know, that you shouldn't judge someone. But it's about not judging people who are doing something to change things. Like, you know, if 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 you are the man who had a you know enough courage to you know step up and be in the ring, you should never judge them because they are the ones who took the risk and even they failed. At least they did that. It's a, it's a beautiful quote. I highly recommend for every founder entrepreneur to read. I think they will feel it very closely. Well, I think I think you've I think you've definitely summed up the the tone of there. We'll dig out the full quote and uh, put it in the show notes so people uh, people people can people can read it. Who would you Who would you recommend to come on the show? Um, Ooh, um, I recommend on the show founder wise. I think yeah. There's a founder I love and I invested. He's a founder of Atio. I don't know if you know Atio. Yep. So Nick is a founder of Atio. Nick Sharp. He was also a VC, and he's he's a friend. And I was always so impressed by him. You know, he did a big pivot. He started the company by you know he was ex VC and he started a CRM for for VCs really, and then tried pivoted it to the global CRM for, for everyone. Amazing story, amazing investors, amazing product. I think he's one of the smartest people I know and he's a London-based founder. So I would highly encourage you to invite him. Fantastic. Well, that's definitely next on our list and we'll, we'll mention that glowing, that glowing reference you've given as well. And then finally, what's your mana? What would you say your mana, your superpower, your magic is? I think it's optimism and energy. I work with a lot of founders. I know my, my partner, my fiance, she's also a founder. I'm helping her a lot. She's, you know, business is in the fashion industry and fashion is going through a very tumultuous times. You know, you, if you see what's happening with Farfetch, Ux and the Porter, LVMH, every single brand around the world is struggling. And so, of course, she's as well. I'm trying to help her. And I spend a lot of time with her company. And I think my, you know, Having this energy and resourcefulness is probably the one thing that is, is a game changer for, for me and, and for the founders I work with. Do you find that it's, as obviously the leader in your business, it's, it's, also, it's obviously very crucial to always provide that optimistic stance on things, even though obviously there's, there's obviously elements of realism in there, but to keep things optimistic. And do you, does it, do you feel it? it almost reassures yourself as well to keep that positivity and optimism. Yeah, and it's not only optimism, but it's also like, you know, looking forward new things. So, mm -hmm. you know, like many, many times I'm basically pushing the company. Like you have to basically, I think my biggest skill is like to push the company to the limit where they don't know they exist and you know, remove the roadblocks. Like, you know, we're very behind one of the targets this quarter on the product side. And, you know, I think my great skill was, you know, suddenly to like remove 80% of the work and just cut cut it and go straight to the results very, very fast. You know, I basically, I was able to take the risks and, and, and it was very, very successful. I think, you know, I'm resource, resourceful in a way, like I can see opportunities wherever I see the obstacles. And basically we see some of the people in the company, oh my God, this industry is tough. We're struggling with that. 
And like, oh, because of that, we can actually launch a new product specifically for this industry because it's tough, because we can figure out this problem. And I think, you know, this helped me start this company and get it to where it is today. Fantastic. I think, yeah, what a great, great place to finish. And I think that's one of the the, the most key manas that, that I think founders and leaders in the space need to have. So fantastic place to, to, to finish there. Well, before we do, Piotr, is there anything else that you'd like to, I don't know, maybe plug or talk about in terms of what's coming up for, for, for Uncapped? Yeah, watch this space. A lot of new exciting stuff. I think we're growing, we're hiring. So if you're looking for a job in a cool fintech in Europe, please hit us up. And if you're a startup looking for working capital, also, we are the best place to get it. I'm definitely convinced. Thanks very much, Piotr. Pleasure. Thank you. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong one stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of a high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with both cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Future of Work podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please leave a like and a review and subscribe to our iTunes channel to stay up to date with the newest content. Find us on social media at Searching for Mana. Tell us who you want next on the show. Thanks again and see you next time.